Our text is going to be from the Gospel of Matthew. So I'm going to ask for you to put your hand uh, in that particular Gospel account. We'll be in chapter 21. So chapter 21 of Matthew will be the account. All right. Now, I also would like to direct your attention to some important passages that deal prophetically. And that's going to be encouraging to us as far as where we find ourselves. So the text for the substantial part of the teaching is Matthew 21. Okay. And then what I would like you to do is also find your place in Daniel. And that will be in chapter 9 at verse 24. You'll see the reasoning be behind this and the encouragement that I hope um, will build you in your faith. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, that in this time it is uh, pertinent and it will be easily assimilated. So Lord, thank you for your word. <laughs> There's a lot of it here and we have been those who have consistently desired to move through it, to have it translated into our hearts by your Spirit for practical application, Lord, for corporate substantiation. It's your church, Lord. We love to worship you, and it is important, but we need to hear from you. And so the scriptures are that foundation for building our faith on, being able to listen and find ourselves increasing in the knowledge and understanding of you, devotionally putting ourselves, Lord, within a touch of you and how you want to guide our day, how you want to empower us for the things of the day. So may your spirit even now work because many on this day are asking, Lord, what is happening May their answers be discovered in the teaching and that we realize you are the sovereign Lord. And even in what appears to be the great suffering, Lord, there is none who suffered more greatly than you. And this is not a get you back moment. This is you saying, I've got your back. So Lord, thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, places marked again at Matthew chapter 21 for the wonderful historical text of this day, the triumphal entry. But we want to go back now to the prophetic utterance that speaks of this day. It's important that when you look at prophecy, it literally is God anchoring himself in facts that though not at that time um, transpired, they for a generation to come would be revealed. And it is encouraging. It's kind of like this. When a weatherman forecasts, you know, snow and you're a skier and you go on that forecast and all of a sudden it's snowing when it seems as though it isn't coming. That's a marvelous confirmation. You exercised a faith to go to a place that was going to cost you and preparedness. The disappointment comes when all of a sudden what you thought would be there for you ain't coming. Sunshine cuts through. The temperature drops. 
the snow begins to melt and you have to pack it up saying, what in the world? How can I ever trust the weatherman again? You can trust God again and again and again. This text really helps validate that. So chapter 9, right now we're picking it up in verse 24 of the book of Daniel. Chapter 9, verse 24. Let's find our encouragement. We're going to anchor the teaching today from this and one more Old Testament source. Beginning at 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most High. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Transition, verse 26. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. So in Daniel right now, he being an elderly man, not the young Daniel that we see in the beginning of the book, but actually elderly in the time of this prophecy is hearing what will be happening with what was his hope and his desire. He was a scholar. He had studied the scriptures all of his young life in Jerusalem to the age of 15 or 16 when he and others of Jerusalem, hundreds and eventually thousands, would be moved into exile into Babylon. No small journey at all. Very difficult indeed. It might be something that we would have an encouragement if Daniel could speak to us right now on what we feel in times that seem ominous and something like we've never been through. But Daniel went through it. In fact, the world has gone through, in many occasions, things just like this. And inevitably, every generation has to know how to handle it God's way and how to trust the Lord in what it is he has to say. There is in this time and in this scripture what for us as scholars, but really all of you as Bible students need to be able to refer others who don't know what's going on back to. That's why this is classic. Because Daniel was able to see that in this prophecy was the declaration of when Messiah would actually come in to Jerusalem. This is about 
520 years thereabout before the birth of the Lord and the penning of this. These timelines are fairly accurate, but there's some, at times, uh, confusion as to the when, perhaps by decades, but this is fairly accurate. You'll find another one that I'll give in just a few moments that will then just put this right into a beautiful picture of the reality of Jesus on what we call Palm Sunday. And so when you see this paired up by two prophetic voices, you know that God's speaking and you know that it was presented in a way in which we do not have to doubt the event that we celebrate and the meaning of its celebration. God ultimately fulfilling through his son, Jesus, the purposes of his life on earth. And that was to be an atoning sacrifice for the world who condemned in sin and unforgiven because of sin would find salvation through the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So some may ask, how do you know these things with regard to its speaking of that? Well, in prophetic vision, there is a mystery. It's somewhat poetic. It's somewhat mosaic. Pieces have to be fit in. Indulgence in asking God for revelation must happen. Scholarly research needs to occur. All of these things are true. And at times, it is years upon years, decades, that the discovery of what it means actually translates into mathematics, figures, calculations that you can say, wow, indeed. The fascinating thing about Daniel is actually in the entire book, the... Um, the pages of history unfold with empires that came and went. That's why even in the reading of Psalm 75, there was great encouragement because, of God's, because God declares in that. He sets up one, brings down another, raises up one. Promotion is for him to give. As well, in the area of demotion, it is his allowance for ultimately what he will do, and that's exalt himself on the stage of human events. So I'm going to share with you a name that you can research in the event that you scratch your head going, how can I figure this out? So there's a gentleman who was a British scholar, a devotional man of God. His name is Sir Robert Anderson, and his life pretty much was in the mid-1800s and concluded in 1918, somewhere between, obviously, his academic years to the time of his um, transitioning to be with the Lord. He spent just hovering over the Bible and calculating using calendars and mathematics. And so what this 70 weeks translates to is over a period of about 490 years, and it is accurate to the time that Jesus not only would find himself pictured in this event coming into Jerusalem, 
but in the week that follows that was also voiced when we see in verse 26, Messiah shall be cut off what we know to be his life given up for men. So you're anchored right now in chapter 9, verses 24, and I think we took it right up through verse 26. I'm going to ask you with the same diligence to turn to another Old Testament account, a prophetic voicing, and that's going to be right now for us, Zechariah. You're going to focus your attention on chapter 9, and you're going to move your eyes now over to the ninth verse. This will be quoted in the text of Scripture, Matthew 21. So, Daniel right now prophesied in those numbers to the day Jesus would come into Jerusalem. Zechariah gives the confirmation of how he would do it. To the day that it was going to be satisfied, Daniel speaks by the Spirit of God and the means by which Jesus would accomplish it is given in Zechariah. The day, the means. Pretty good. Pretty good. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem the battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Again, the poetic language, mysterious, but isn't it very comforting that Zechariah tells us with precision the means by which God has confirmed what Daniel also prophesied in the when. When you have the when and the how, all you need truly is trust in God. Trust in God. And this is one of the beautiful things about being anchored in the word and taking advantage of the, prof the prophetic voicing in the Old Testament. And then the doctrine of the New Testament and the stories that give us, Lord, uh, the Lord's heart in terms of what he has done for us and what he's still doing for us. So, he shall speak peace. The Lord's desire is to speak peace to you today, and we need it. And without him, there is no peace. And men in politics have tried peace talks and signed contracts, and there aren't very many long track records of it holding but you can count on Jesus that what he says he will do and he will do it perfectly and he will perfect you and I in the process. Let's move over to Matthew chapter 21, a great gospel account noted as the triumphal entry. Why? 
because Jesus on this day in this week satisfies the prophecies that we just read. That's triumph. When you can't complete a mission and there's still yet another stage to complete, guaranteed the Gospels will confirm it, the grave will substantiate it, the church will indeed proclaim it, but this is a day in which all the doubts should have been removed by those who in religious authority should have been established in this truth and have repented and have pointed to him. They should have been participants. A triumph indeed. This triumphal entry has a little bit of what you would call a military parade. He is a king. He is lord of lords. He is a champion. He is the warrior of salvation. But how so? He's coming lowly on a donkey. How is that military? God has chosen to use what the Romans would say, or the Greeks would say, or the Chaldeans and the Assyrians would say is foolishness to confound the wise. Jesus speaks volumes of his power by not insisting upon it, but rather resisting the use of it. Not many kings, not many generals would do that because there's an accomplishment. And at times, it just doesn't make sense to be a statesman and a diplomat of peace when you know that one crushing blow will settle it. I am able to say with great encouragement, God didn't do that because he could have come in as that warrior and brought everyone who had not acknowledged him and every force that had exalted themselves above him under his complete control, annihilating them. He didn't. Because there was yet this mission that needed to be accomplished, which was rather dying instead for them. What king, what general would do that for an enemy? We know that some will do it for those whom they love, but whom in the scriptures, whom on the stage of world events has ever said in their dominion and their authority, I will die for my enemies. Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the triumphant servant of man. And that's what this account is about. And because of that, if he would do that for his enemies, in which the statement is all, who are outside of a relationship with the Lord, are at enmity with God, God is not with enmity towards you. It means you are wanting to crush God. You are wanting to annihilate him. 
You are wanting to subject him to your power. And God says, no, no. I subjected my power in my love to you in dying in your place and to reconcile you to the place where my heart's at. That's not a human king. That's not one who has seemingly the power in both his voice and at his fingertips, who created the world by his spoken word and engraved upon every man's heart his passion and his will for them. So the triumphal entry right now is a beautiful, simple parade. It's the Lord literally being brought before his people in a manner that you and I would, if we heard was in the making out there, we would grab our lawn chairs today, our umbrellas, and we'd line the streets to see the procession. What's the procession? A parade in our days is a succession in the procession of many, 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 many faces who are contributing. But this is one face who in procession is being revealed by his father. He is the main event. He's the main event. Most of us would not grab our lawn chairs and take the effort to join a parade route in which the one person on that parade route is all there is to that parade. We like to have event after event after person after celebrity pass before us and be approved by us. Jesus did not need that approval, nor did he seek that approval. He was approved by his father, and his father threw him a parade. That was both highly spiritual, indeed implicating a military parade as well. It was social. There were those who thought, this is fun. This is great. But in all these things, it is the proclamation of the one who could save and came for that very purpose. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately... He will send them. All this, verse 4, was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's where we anchored ourselves with Daniel. Verse 6, So the disciples went did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and he set him 
on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's the story. This procession moves from what one could consider the highland, though it would be the hilly region where Bethphage and Bethany were. This was where he spent a good deal of time fellowshipping with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it's from this point in which he enjoyed his fellowship very frequently in a casual form. But it is from this, and not very far at all from Jerusalem, that he begins to have put in order the things that already were ordered. So let me just pause there. He's putting in order the things that already were ordered. That's what God is doing presently on the scene of human events. He's putting in order the things that have already been ordered. Or maybe another word for you is foreordained. It has been foreordained on this day that from wherever we are at, we have assembled to hear the word of God. You're honoring the Lord even though you may not know it. You may not even have a relationship with God, and you have found yourself honoring the Lord by having your attention pricked, your conscience stirred. You don't know why you're listening to this word. You perhaps have heard it before, but it's being magnified in a way that's different for you today. And the difference is because right now the things that are being put in order that have been so foreordered, you want to have understanding. And the fear that's rising up in you and the doubts that now have been accumulating in your life by the things that you cannot control, the Lord would say, I control them. Everything's under my control. You're paying attention to the statistics. You're watching the stocks. The good news that ought to be going out is being suspended for the bad news that is being amplified. And have you thought about it? We're just getting the bad news. And when there's only bad news that's focused on, people do bad things. What's the bad things? They flee. They hide. They give up. They no longer are wanting to be selfless, they become selfish. And because bad news also brings what the Greeks understood in drama as pathos, the pathetic elements of the human condition, everybody's singing the blues. This text of scripture at this time in which the song of proclamation was Hosanna in the highest that would have been a top 40 hit back then. 
because those that were singing it, either knowing it in their hearts, realized that this was the day. There are those who were observing this, and many of the multitude as well were singing the blues because of the oppression of the Romans. And in what was their trajectory of thought, we got to overthrow these guys. We have to make changes in our life when we get these guys out of here. So they had their own little secular battles in being a people that were set apart to be highly spiritual, but they were rolling up their sleeves to be highly confrontational. We see that today. We have a division on the line of politics and what we should do and how we're going to do it. And we have angry language that is being carelessly and maliciously used to cut people in their hearts and to affect their reputation. And it shouldn't be. But Jesus understood that too, for he was assaulted in the very same way. So where's then the beauty in this passage? The beauty in this passage is that it was satisfied. The procession indeed has happened. There are other accounts that give greater detail, but but I actually enjoy the encouragement found just in these verses because it does say much about how attractive he was as Jesus. For people to be cutting down the palm fronds and the branches was a sign of honor and dignity. For the donkey to be used as the means by which Jesus would be transferred into the eastern gates, that was actually, from the Jewish perspective, a king's animal. The Romans would have laughed at it. The Jews would have understood. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> it's hard for us to believe. But, you know, men have made their boasts in a lot of things, right? <laughs> Jesus as God is exalted on a donkey as a king that rides in. The Romans would have laughed at it. But some of us can make our boasts in things that we write on in reputation. I'm a duck. I'm a beaver. I'm a bird. <laughs> I'm a buffalo. I'm a patriot. That's a contemporary of what we can find ourselves making boasts in. Jesus had no problem in his lowly demeanor and in making a statement in what he wrote in on. The stage had been set. He was simply satisfying the course of that which hundreds of years before had been pronounced. If God is able to do that and hundreds of years before the event then isn't it assuring right now that he can do for us in our times of wondering what's going on, give revelation as to what it is he's doing? The days are the last days. We've heard that for such a long time. Okay, the Lord wants you to know these are the last days. 
He's serious. Well, why doesn't he just do what he says he was going to do and what we've been saying for all these years? Because he loves someone so much that he would desire that that person not perish. Are you the one person right now that God loves so much that he would suspend the consummation of the ages, summing all things up in himself, rapturing the church, judging the world that has rejected his son, could he love you so much that he would suspend one more day for you to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus in which you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That because of your belief, God acknowledges you then as righteous in his son. And because of your mouth confessing that, he declares you as justified before him. As you've heard, just as if you had not sinned. Even though perhaps now, the sins have stacked up upon you. Iniquity. You can't forgive yourself and others will not forgive you. But God has. What if the entire world is meant right now to groan as it does one more day for God to do his thing and it's all being held up because of one decision that has not yet been made? Talk about a king who wants to have the next parade with you in it, and there will be. When the saints being brought up into heaven celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb while the world is being judged and there's warfare between Satan to still have his intended way, which will not play out, the Lord will return with his church. It will be the greater of the parades. For he truly will come in victory. And all those who have proclaimed him as Lord will follow him in that parade, in that procession. And we will take our rightful places beside him for a thousand years, reigning on this earth. We don't know what that means. But I know it means a lot better than under some of the reigns of the kings and in the nations that presently we see oppressing people, depressing people, killing people. That will be the day that the Lord has made. But for now, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. Multitudes, the multitudes, they went before crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You need to be able to say, blessed is he who comes again in the name of the Lord. When he comes, it will be with his voice. The trump of God, not the trumpets that will be judgment. The trump of God will sound and those in the earth will be raised up from the graves, and within the twinkling of an eye, they will be joined by those living. That could be us. And it's in the twinkling of an eye 
and you want to talk about a problem then for the world to solve, it will be how can I be with them when I am now left behind here? I thought the virus was bad, but this is wicked. And so your testimony on this day, your Bibles, which you will not need to bring with you, that are penned with the promises of God, your journals that state like Daniel what the Lord has told you and what you believe will happen in your life, they will be treated like a book from an ancient library, a precious document. So this day, Palm Sunday, anchored in Daniel and Zechariah, give us great hope on what the Lord, in fact, is doing right now. What has been foretold, he is now telling the rest of the story. May we as a church be those who pray fervently and confidently. Wouldn't you imagine that the Lord likes to be cheered on as opposed to scowled at? How many of us give the Lord the right hand of fellowship in volumes greater than the world who holds up a clenched fist? One of the greatest hugs that you can give God on this day is to say, Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord, for you have come and you have gone before me. You, Jesus, are seated at the right hand of the Father. And your word declares in Ephesians that in the spirituals, I'm seated with you. We're all there with you. It's a mystery. But it's a fact. God already sees us there. We can't, but we can believe in it. We can encourage the work of God. We can encourage one another. Pray for something on this day regarding the Lord's will that will be just amazing, just comforting, miraculous in the practical. We've got one week before we take a sobering look at the reality of Jesus' processional, which ultimately will conclude in a footwalk to Calvary and placing his body on a cross to give up his life. Let's ask the Lord to just do that beautiful, encouraging, extraordinary work in which he gets all the glory. The doctors aren't going to get it. The scientists aren't going to get it. The ones who are being careful in their quarantining aren't going to get it. It's going to be God who gets all the praise and the glory in a manner in which we can say he is worthy of. But we also need to be those who say, nevertheless, it is not my desire to be in this situation, but thy will be done. It is what Jesus would say. It is what Jesus did confirm on this day. And it is what we as believers need to say we shall walk in. And he'll help us. He will truly help us.